Hi fans, we hope you're enjoying each episode of Let's Talk Trio. Each story is so unique and inspirational. Our podcast continues to grow, and we know we have a variety of listeners from across the country. Much like NPR and public radio stations, we need your support to keep the podcast going. Sharing your favorite episode, using your favorite platform to download each episode, and rating us on Apple Podcasts or Podbean is extremely helpful. What else can you do? Become a patron via Patreon. There are a variety of donor levels. You can donate one time or consider being a monthly patron. Search Patreon for Let's Talk Trio Podcast. Your support goes a long way toward maintenance of the podcast, which includes upgrading and maintaining our equipment, travel funds, and software licenses to stay in the cutting edge of podcasting. Any dollar amount out really helps us out we thank you for being fans of the podcast thank you for all of the support you are listening to let's talk trio on podcast keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts search for let's talk trio on facebook or instagram This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in TRIO software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com. Dot com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Welcome listeners to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. In this episode, we have Angelica Vialpando. She is with the Council for Opportunity in Education and serves as the Vice President for Program and Professional Development. Angelica is on the program to talk about her journey through college, what inspired her to move to Washington, D.C., and every little story in between on how all those events happened. It was a real pleasure to sit down with Angelica and just talk about her past and how she came up with this path to college. And really, it was just a pleasure listening to her story and listening to how she came to work for COE and what I took away from that is she's a very social person loves to connect with the trio programs and COE is definitely in the side of the upward bound programs the student support services program talent search the equal opportunity centers the Ronald E. McNair programs the gear ups and the various programs that exist under trio and we have a solid ally right that this person is out there uh, doing the trainings making sure that the TRIO programs are up to snuff with everything that is going on, whether it's policy, professional development, or various other topics. If you'd like to be featured on Let's Talk TRIO, make sure that you send us a direct message via Facebook or Instagram. 
We are taking up spots right now, and we are almost halfway full through June. So if you want to get us get in for an interview or highlight your program, please let us know. Uh, we will make room to, to record uh, either through Microsoft Teams or through Zoom. We are still exploring licensing options, so please bear with us as we as we navigate through all that. But uh, yes, if you'd like to have your program highlighted or a student highlighted or even your staff highlighted, please let us know. Thank you to the, all the essential workers out there, whether you're a nurse, you're uh, in the grocery store or uh, whatever job you hold. Right now you are keeping us all together and making sure that this world is still flowing and doing its what it's supposed to be doing. Um, here in Colorado, we are slowly opening things back up. We're under phase one. Uh, phase one is a soft opening. We are uh, allowed to start going to shops, start going to restaurants, and we're doing sl- things very, very slowly. Uh, still, the a lot of the restrictions are still in place. We don't want to right, congregate with more than five people. So we hope wherever you are, you're practicing your state's mandated uh, COVID-19 restrictions um, that either A, uh, you're staying away from uh, groups of people of more than five and that you're not congregating in in large number of groups and that you're also uh, practicing social distancing. And again, our podcast has been, uh, as soon as this was announced, we immediately switched gears. We we wanted to to travel up to New Mexico. We wanted to go to to Wyoming. And it didn't work out that way. So we immediately started getting creative with how to present our podcast. Now, we missed out on a month. uh, About two months. And in those two months, we were rescheduling and figuring out different ways to uh, produce and and still put a a quality podcast together. And so far, it's come very well together. I know we've had some technical glitches here and there. But that's, you know, how Wi-Fi works or how... Uh, the bandwidth of video conferencing works as well. So we're still exploring. We're still doing a lot of things for our podcast to make sure that we're giving you quality episodes. A huge thank you to Student Access for continuing to sponsor the podcast. Thank you all so much. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, our listeners, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. My guest on this podcast is a graduate of the University of Wyoming with a Bachelor of Arts degree in accounting. She received that degree in 1999. She moved to Washington, D.C. a month after graduation. She is an employee of the Council for Opportunity in Education and serves as the Vice President for Program and Professional Development. Is a proud mother of two daughters, ages eight and five and currently lives with her partner of 13 years. Please help me welcome Angelica Villalpando to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Angelica, welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do oh. have to say that I'm a little nervous. Oh, I you can't. Can no. <laughs> do not look nervous at all. I think you're doing so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to do, I know that we're kind of living in the world of uh, the pandemic and working from home. Uh, has, has that been kind of going well so, for, so far for you? No, absolutely not. Um, So, (laughs) okay, I live in a world of privilege, right? I I am very fortunate. We live in a two-family home 
we have we both have jobs that we could work at our home from so um, all of my um, problems or you know my little rants are are very privileged right um, so I, I start off with that but having two parents working at home with two kids one in third grade and one in uh, pre-kinder oh, wow. so she's yeah. not actually in school yet but um, it, it's been it's been really hard really hard uh, yeah. You know, I, my desk is at the uh, at the table, uh, kitchen table, which I like. I really do yeah. like, and it's a big table, and both of my kids are there, and they are forced to work on their homework or their classwork. And um, I, I um, since the pandemic and COE, we've been doing about about eight webinars a week. Oh I kid gosh. you not. Wow. So we did three today three yeah. today. And so I just, I just talk all day is what I do. And, um, but my kids want to be on the, on the webinar. They want me to help them do their homework while I'm on the webinar. So it's, it's, it's been hard. It's, it's really hard for the teachers. I mean, listen, uh, today was the best day because we were doing um, civics. It's actually their, their social studies, but it's really civic, civic engagement, which is fabulous because that's something that I do know about. So yeah. I was in that in math. I was in confidence that I knew the answer to nothing else. You should see me trying to do science. It's ridiculous. Um, so, but uh, I am fortunate. My sister-in-law lives about five blocks away and oh. she takes the kids uh, yeah. two to three days a week. So. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I can yeah. totally relate. I know that experience. Uh, since mid-March, my kids have been here as well. So trying to do a podcast, trying to work from home, and trying to do everything. It's like right now I'm broadcasting in my in my own room. And then two, okay. <laughs> two weeks ago it was working in the living room. So I totally hear you. It's <laughs> having to adjust to all that. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I was going to ask you because I knew you had little ones too. Well, maybe not so little. Do you do you have preteens or do I, you have teenagers? I can't, I can't remember. Yeah, so I have an oldest one. He is a teenager, and uh, okay. just last week he was doing his finals. Uh, so he has he had band, and he doing he was doing his final while I was uh, at a meeting, and I just had to kind of apologize to him. Was like, if you hear noise, that's my son doing his final for his band. And they're like, no, 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 no need to apologize. <laughs> He's doing great, and you could just hear him drumming away. Um, but I, yeah, I have a, a teenager. He's in high school. Uh, currently, he's going into the 11th grade, and then I have uh, two little ones. Uh, one is going into middle school next year, and then um, okay. my youngest one, who is still in elementary, will be a fifth grader this upcoming year. So, yeah, yeah. It's wow. Been, it's wow. Hard good. ages on all of it. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. We're very, we're very close to our kids, and we really want them to go away. You know, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> holy cow, um, uh, it, you know, um, and they don't want to go outside. Um, no, it's been beautiful here, right? And yeah. so I've been, you know, like, go jump on the trampoline, and go outside. No, they want to stay and play Minecraft. <laughs> their kids or Roblox or uh, I mean, no, it's I hear, ridiculous. It's, it's Roblox. It's YouTube. It's Binge yes. watching every single episode of whatever show they've caught their interest at the moment. I yes. yeah, I, I hear you. I, hear I you. can't keep up, and <laughs> it's it's just it's just crazy. I yeah. I couldn't. I I'm like I'm gonna go outside. I'm gonna go work for a little bit. So I feel like we're now dedicating part of this episode to just really mentally check in with each other as parents and just to see 
Angelica, how are you doing? How are your partner doing? How's your partner doing? Like, are you all handling this teaching from home doing, doing that very well? Well, we're, we're not, we're doing okay. Um, we're doing, we're doing okay. We are, um, so, uh, Alan has the luxury of, um, shutting his office door and, we know not to bother dad, right? So that's good. But he also gets, he starts his day very early and in, he tries to end by three. Mm -hmm. He is the one that has kept us fed. Um, he's the one that's doing the grocery shopping. So he goes on every morning to see if we can get a delivery. Um, we haven't, um, we haven't been out of our, we haven't seen anybody besides my sister, my two sister-in-laws since March 19th. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. we've gone nowhere, absolutely nowhere. Um, my car is dead, and it, oh my, it, my battery needs to be replaced, and he's oh like, yeah, God. don't worry about it. We're not going to go anywhere for a while, you know? <laughs> oh, no. No, um, but he's, he, but, you know, we lose it sometimes, but yeah. for the most part, we're, we're okay. We're yeah. okay. Colorado, what we've been able to do is we've been able to stem COVID-19, and we're just now slowly phasing parts of the plan to open everything back up, but... Yeah. So um, we just got, we had a senior staff meeting today and um, we were trying to follow for this. Usually we follow Congress, but for this, we've been trying to follow DC policies. Oh yeah. And um, so they're opening in three phases, but realistically us actually being in the office normally will not mm -hmm. come till the end of the summer. And then who knows where we'll be at the end of the summer. So, yeah. so we'll see how that goes. Um, Okay, but you have a girlfriend, right? I do not. No, I am you uh, don't? single I'm at the moment. Just, just making this up, ladies. <laughs> okay. No, don't don't ever touch me like that, Angelica. You're <laughs> way too much. <laughs> I didn't mean to come out like that. Okay. This is this is. Uh, I'll put a note for John. Like we can either edit this out or leave. Yeah, it. it's not a dating uh, podcast. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay. I haven't laughed this much in a podcast, so this is this is awesome. Um, but no, uh, yeah, currently doing the single dad thing. Uh, ex wife and I, we just uh, changed um, where we trade off. Uh, we, we do what we have to do to make sure everything's okay on that end. But yeah, I mean, enjoying enjoying being single at the moment. Well, I have a great appreciation for Colorado State. Um, you know, it is our rival for the University of Wyoming, but. Oh, that's um, right. I have a lot of great, great friends. Uh, one of my best friends, Andrea Reeve, um, was has re well, she retired from Colorado State yeah. a couple a number of years ago. But um, so I try to visit Fort Collins quite a bit. When I was young, um, all the all the people in Laramie wanted to move to Fort Collins. So everybody wanted to live in Fort Collins. It exploded from when I was I, I came to visit Fort Collins about ten years ago, just to scope out the place. It has exploded since, and there's a lot of people. I know that the housing crisis is kind of a real thing here. It's very short on housing, but and housing is super expensive in Fort Collins. So, they are. Yeah. Yeah, well, because, you know, it's there's not even any um, – it used to be re – really, it used to be you could – there was some space between – even cities in Colorado. So Wyoming, of course, there's nothing. So, you know, you go 20 miles, you hit the border, then another probably 40 minutes and you hit Fort Collins, right? Yeah. But once you hit Fort Collins, it's, it, you're in city the whole time. It's yeah. like nothing, it, it just expanded. Yeah. So it's such a, it's so crazy from when I was little. It has, it has grown tremendously. And 
I know that uh, I've seen some of your Facebook posts where you come visit Colorado. And uh, in the future, we definitely need to sit down and just either do a live yeah. podcast right there and there. Just go, me and you, just hang out for lunch and just see how things are going with you. But That's uh, perfect. That's awesome. I, I love the conversation that we we're having so far. Um, but how are things in D.C.? You kind of gave me, you painted a good picture of how life is like. It's been super restrictive. It sounds like you really confine yourself to that quarantine. Can you share a little, can you share with us a little bit more about your life in DC? Sure. So I live um, for the last uh, 13 years, I've lived here in uh, College Park, Maryland. So I live in a suburb. And, um, and we decided to move from DC to the suburbs when we had kids. So I guess not 13 years, I guess nine years. Sorry. Okay, nine years I've been here. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, DC, I went in for to pick up a check. Um, mm -hmm. So I just drove in. I was driving back home. Mm -hmm. And it was depressing. You know, I come from a city where you just have lots of people walking around, you know, um, especially during a business day. Mm -hmm. And it's jam-packed. I mean, nobody talks to one another. and Everybody's listening to their headphones or whatever. But okay. still... There's still lots of people, lots of places to get lost in, you know, places are booming, the bakeries are open, coffee shops are open, and, and it's, it's a ghost town. In my last week in D.C., which, I, again, I haven't been at work since March 19th, um, yeah. you know, we went in, I went in a couple of days to get a coffee, and they were shutting the, the um, coffee shops down by noon and they had very skeleton staff and it's it was just really sad and you know I mean but I, I won't I I will say that I take the pandemic very serious mm -hmm. and I am very worried about people in general and I think by sheltering in place it is smart move to do Absolutely. um yeah. i do understand the people who are essential workers who have to work and um and i get that the economy needs to be up and running but until we find some until we find testing until we find how we can um to really manage this and fight this i'm okay staying in my house and being upset with my kids so <laughs> well no i think uh for a good majority of americans right we believe that sheltering in place is the right move i think the federal government needs to step up and continue providing assistance to people that are less fortunate or that need that stimulus that first round was okay i think the second round definitely need a little bit more that way it'll help uh not only uh, people that are facing those financial challenges but also parents that need that a little extra money to push through at least part of the summer because wow we've been sheltering in place since mid uh mid-march and March. yeah twelve hundred dollars i think i've heard a variety of people saying twelve hundred dollars really doesn't go far i completely agree and then there's people that just got 600 and they're like this doesn't do anything for me oh i didn't know about the 600 i know that um I know about the 1200 and because Alan uh, was self-employed last year. Mm -hmm. uh, so he actually, and he has our kids on the, the taxes. So oh. he uh, qualified for that. Oh, nice. But it was nice. Again, we are fortunate. We're, we're working and, you yeah. know, um, but there's so many people in need. So many people. Absolutely. Agreed. But um, in terms of like Congress, I mean, it's just such a weird place to be in, right? Where we are the na the capital, the, the nation's uh, people's house in the sense. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, 
they're not, they're all work, and you know, they're all over 70, so they better be at home, right? They should not be talking to anybody, right. um, you know, face to face. So, um, so it's going to be, it's going to be really weird for a very long time. It really is. It's going to be something that's going to impact us for, for a while, right? For the future, for the foreseeable future. And uh, thank you so much for kind of painting that picture. I think we talked a little bit about your family and how they're doing. How are your daughters adjusted to being at home? So my, I have a, my eight year old going on 20. Um, she's a very, uh, she's a social butterfly. She, mm-hmm. um, every morning I don't have to tell her, you know, wake her up. She's ready, <clears throat> excuse me, to go to school. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do about school. Okay. It's all about being with her friends and being, mm. being there, being the social butterfly. Got it. Got um, it. so it's very, very hard for her and Aww. she is, um, she's such an adult in a lot of ways. Uh, she, she can't manage her emotions. Um, we actually, she had been in therapy about this because she, she doesn't do emotions very well. And mm-hmm. so her now just being with her little sister. All right. Mm-hmm. is just driving her crazy, oh. but it is showing her that she can have conversations about you know, forcing those emotions out, like, mom, I'm just having a bad day. I mean, that's, you're like, whoa, because, you know, instead of having a fit, right, just, okay, you're having a bad day, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Even if you don't want to talk to me, I love that, that's good, you know, go calm down by yourself kind of thing. Um, So she's, she's having a hard time. She's been on the phone more than I've ever seen an (laughs) eight-year-old should be, Yeah, which is, is dumb. She should, she should not be you know, on the phone as much as she has been. But I think, right, she has a good excuse because the phone is really the connection to the outside world. And it is. That's, how, that's my son. Like, I had to check on our sprint bill last month. And I'm like, dude, you've been on the <laughs> phone for 3,000 minutes. What, what is this? Yeah, yeah, right? No, no joke. We have uh, application limits. And every day she's like, mom, can I get just one more hour? You know, I mean, <laughs> just it's just crazy but yeah so that's good so her friends have been there for her my little one so she's five almost well she'll be six in october and she's Mm -hmm. just my little girl and but we're worried about her now you know she's supposed to be getting ready for kindergarten and getting ready to learn how to read and she missed the whole spring semester at a pre-k and Mm -hmm. you don't want me teaching anybody to read and so so it's been interesting. She's been, um, she does Zoom with her class on, mm-hmm. a, on occasion. Um, but I feel like it's putting her into being a real introvert. And I'm real worried about that Yeah. as an extrovert. So, um, but she's doing okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're doing okay. Again, they haven't seen anybody. They, ha- they haven't seen any friends in a long time. But they do have their ways of connecting. And um, my sister-in-law hosts uh she has this group of friends and they all have 2.5 kids and she so they're the my two sister-in-laws don't have any kids so they use my kids which is fabulous and they so that they're a part of this group and they get together every saturday and they play kid games there's like 20 kids so they get to be a part of that you know so that's that's fabulous that's awesome yeah i was just gonna share with you that my my daughter so both of my all three of them have like their own approach and their own way of doing school. Yeah. My oldest, you know, locks himself in the room, does his schoolwork. 
my daughter is very like kind of uh, intentional with her time. She she goes out into the living room. She's like, I am in school right now, and I'm, <laughs> and I'm like, that is amazing. That's that's you go you go and do that. But my my youngest, he struggles with that time management. He's like, what am I supposed to be doing? Can I go play Legos right now? And I was like, oh no, Harvey, you're supposed to be working. And he's like, I'm gonna go play Legos. Call me in 15 minutes. It's so funny. It's how night and day they are, right? Yes, and you are. have three, so you see the whole spectrum, right? Oh, no, damn it. Oh, wow. This is, this is going to be life from here on out. Okay. It's, I'm like, they both came out of me. I don't understand this. Um, yes, they're so very different. And, um, you know, they're not, you know, I didn't have a senior. I don't have a kid transitioning from middle school to high school or from elementary to middle school. So I am thankful for that. And I do think, you know, the kindy, the pre-K to kindergarten is a much easier transition in a lot of ways because everybody does that anyway. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's still, but special. <laughs> it's still special because it's, it's your transition, right? Your family's transition on, on helping them, guiding them into that, that next phase in their life. So that's awesome. <sighs> It's a very bumpy road. (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. Um, So as I'm speaking to you about working at home and and doing all of this, I've been speaking to a lot of my friends and they've shared that they miss their office space. Do you find that to be true for you? Like do you really miss your your workspace? I I miss the people. I miss miss the people. Yeah, I miss walking into, you know, Al Phillips' office or sitting down and having a, a meeting with Maureen Hoyler. You know, I, um, I miss having, not being able to do something on my computer because I'm so tech ignorant and going down and, you know, making John coming and help me. You know, what, I, I miss talking to people. I miss, you know, chatting with people. Um, I, uh, one thing I do more now is connect via Zoom mm-hmm. with people face-to-face um, from the community, which is good, right? Yep, um, uh, I, I, I do like I, I do like having that connection. Um, that's different, but um, I, I, I really miss being in my office mm-hmm. and and being around people. And I even when we do go back to the office, I think it's going to be completely different. Yeah. So um, change for sure. Yeah. So I, so yeah, so that's what I miss. I miss that camaraderie. I miss, you know, bouncing ideas off of people. I I miss all that. I feel that sense of connection is really, is really hard. Um, It's so isolating this way. Absolutely. So now that we're talking about reminiscing and kind of going back and archiving and and, and looking back at our our journey, uh, the audience is all about listening about individual stories and how a person, one, right, went through everything that they needed, they went through and ended up in college. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey and, and how you went to college? Sure, sure. Um, so I'm a, I'm a first-generation graduate. Woo-hoo. So I know. Woo, woo. Um, my, um, I'm, I was born and raised in Laramie, Wyoming. So I'm a, I'm Mexican American. I, I, I'm a 1990 girl. So 1999 graduate. So I'm a Chicana. Um, but my, both of my parents are from Colorado, Wyoming area. That's where they grew up. They came up. My father's father was a rancher in Colorado. My mother's father was, um, on the railroad. 
It was very predominant in Wyoming. Yeah. Up until like uh, the end of the 90s, really, it was still very predominant. And it's still, it still um, employs many, many, many people, many, many Mexican-Americans in mm-hmm. um, Wyoming, mm-hmm. um, the railroad. Yeah. And so um, my parents both are, have high school diplomas. My dad actually has an associate's degree. Oh. Um, he was a yeah, he's a welder by trade. And so they actually paid for him to go. Um, it wasn't a certificate. It was actually an associate's degree, but he was going for welding. Yeah. And so, um, so he does have, a, an associate's degree, mm-hmm. but, um, they, my dad worked long, long, long hours and they didn't have a, a union and, um, he, he, he loved working. He loved his family. He loved to provide for us, but he always told my brother and I, you know, you, uh, you're never going to have this life. I will never let you have this life. You are going to, um, work with your mind. You're not going to work with your body. Wow. So it was, he, he was, he's a very smart man. He's, um, and, and he is, boy, he is one of the smartest people. And, um, and as a welder, right, you have to know a lot about mathematics and spatial, and he can do all of this in his mind. It's, it's amazing. And I, I think this is where my brother gets it. My brother is an engineer by trade. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I never thought I would not go to college, right? And mm-hmm. I lived in Laramie. The University of Wyoming is, is the only university in Wyoming. Um, that's It's housed in Laramie, Wyoming. So my mother worked for the University of Wyoming, mm-hmm. um, so it was a, it was a no brainer. So I did. I was always a rebel, and um, so for six beautiful months, I I don't even think it was six, maybe like four beautiful months. Four I went okay. to school at Sonoma State University in California, and ran out of money, and uh, I was going to go to a junior college. And mm-hmm. so, if you know anything about um, at Wyoming, we have like seven junior colleges and then one university, right? Yeah. And so I called my father and I was like, dad, I'm working a lot here. I'm just going to go to the junior college that's down the street. And he was like, you know, we live in a town that has a four year institution that costs a fraction of what we paid for, for your six glorious months in California, it's time to come home. <laughs> so, uh, so like a good daughter, I packed all my stuff up and I came and went to the University of Wyoming. So um, I spent, uh, again, I, I graduated, it took me five years, but I was really involved in our Met- in METCHA in the United uh Multicultural Council, which is a council that um, we got a vote on our um, on the Senate's uh, in the in the student Senate. Yeah. So I was really involved in that, and then my last year, I stayed on for another year to be um, a representative on the council, meaning that the administration gets to hire three or four people to help them run their. Um, their council. And yeah. so I was hired by our Senate president 
to do media and to do, um, well, well, not social, not social media, but (laughs) it was wonderful. So, I mean, so I did that. So I was highly, highly involved. And in Wyoming, you can imagine there's not very many minorities. (laughs) It's a pretty small population. So we, we did everything together. We, the APISA, the Asian Pacific Islanders, the, um, the black association, the, um, so Mecha, um, the there was a Native American Association, so we did a bunch of things together, and it was a really, really amazing time. And um, I was uh, I had started off in accounting, and by the time that I decided I didn't want to do accounting, it was you know I was already almost done. So I just said I would do it, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. So I didn't want to do accounting and I'm really terrible at it, to be honest. And, um, (laughs) so (laughs) I'm sitting at a, at this time I'm, I'm thinking, Oh, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my good friend, uh, David Rivera, who is now a associate professor at Queens college and, um, at Cooney, um, I don't know, Cooney Queens in New York City. Um, He, uh, at the time, he said, well, you know what? I think I'm going to uh, try for this job at Georgetown. And um, there was this first-generation job that they they helped students get this, okay? They helped students who were their valedictorians on their um, campuses, but they still went up to par to come to Georgetown, so they gave them this jump start, right? They um, helped them very, very similar to TRIA, okay? So very much like a summer bridge program that a student support services would do to prepare them. So he was going to go for this job. Yeah. And so he's telling me this, and I was like, I can move to Washington, D.C. And so um, he's like, yes, let's go together. You know, I mean, we're not young. We're naive. It's, it's, I, I'm a very optimistic person. So I just think of things and I just do them and then I worry about it later. Yeah. So just do Which it. Which has caused me a lot of stress in our, my relationship <laughs> with Alan. And so um, I, uh, my good friend from high school was in uh, med school out here and I called her and um, she said, well, you know, Andrea Reeve is, um, she works here somewhere in DC. Why don't you call her? And Andrea um, at the, when I was in college, she was, so she started off with upper bound and talent search. Mm -hmm. But when I really got to know her, she was running the, um, the first year experience. And so I had done, um, I was a peer mentor for her, Mm -hmm. but she also was the advisor for the APISA, the Asian Pacific Islanders Club. So I knew her really well. And I was like, I forgot. And so I called her and I said, hey, Andy, I'm looking for a job. And she's like, you know what? I work for this organization called Council for Opportunity and Education. Um, My, um, our vice, executive vice president, you know, she's looking for an assistant. It's a very entry-level position, but you'll, you'll love it, and you would learn a lot, and it'll get you to D.C., right? Yeah. And um, she goes, I'll get you an interview. And I was like, okay. So um, literally that next week she got me an interview, and I interviewed with Maureen Hoyler. Now, have you ever met Maureen Hoyler? I've met her once. I met okay. Her once. Yeah. Okay, so you you know Maureen, so you have a picture, right? Yes, okay, I, I'm picturing so, it in my head right now. 
Yes. Well, I didn't know who she was. And um, if you've ever had a conversation with Maureen, um, it, it can be interesting sometimes. And oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So she... Uh, she asked me my name. I got my name right. So that was great. You know, we're yeah. off to a very good start. And then she says, so are you Hispanic? And I said, yes. So, okay, here we go. And then can you speak Spanish? I'm like, no. Mm. So she stops and she's like, eh, okay, whatever. She's like, so when are you moving here? And I said, uh, I'm thinking July. She was like, okay. She was like, you got the job. And I was oh. like, <laughs> she's like yeah she's like we'll see you in july and and um and then she hung up and i never talked to her again like i tried to call her like a million times uh -huh. and could never get past she has a very it's a it's a fortress to get to marine oh, sure sure so yeah. and now i know why right but it was it was crazy i was like i just got a job and then you know my father well how much are they um how much are they paying oh, yeah. you? I'm like, about the money, yeah. I don't know. You know, I, yes, exactly. I'm like, and you know, my father, he just shakes his head. And um, so I had a job and uh, I wasn't making any money, to be honest. And he was very upset. And, um, but I was like, I'm going for the experience. It's going to yeah. be a good time. I'll be with David, dad. Don't worry, you know. Washington, and yeah, you'd be doing that. It's building that experience. You know, and I was like, I can always come home. I'm a, again, I'm an optimist and I'm always, I'm a person like, yeah, it doesn't work out. Eh, I'll just come home. You know, no biggie. Um, we, we pulled out in on the end of June in 1999 from Laramie because we, we were driving out here uh -huh. and my parents were sobbing and it was the worst thing ever. And then when we hit, uh, when we hit DC, so we hit it. Took us twenty six hours, I think, and um, we it we were it was nine in the morning, and we were in traffic, mm -hmm. and it was the worst traffic I had ever been in, oh. and um, I was like, "What am I doing here? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to call my father, and he's gonna have to come pick me up," you know. And um, but uh, I I stayed and. We, uh, we, we found an apartment and, uh, we lived on Andrea's couch for a couple months. Oh, wow. Um, and it, it was, it's, it's been a amazing ride ever since. Yeah. So I can only imagine you've gone through a lot and had to experience, you know, like that uncertainty of how will this all work out? And so you're this first generation student, just really tackling the big city head on, really. It was, um, again, um, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm such an optimist. Um, it's something that Marina and I really share with one another. We, we think everything is going to go great and we never think anything fails. Um, you can ask us about anything and, you know, we have other colleagues who will like be very critical, but unless all the blocks went down, we're like, ah, that went well. I mean, that went you know, really well. Um, we were only a third prepared. We're great. You know, I mean, it, it so that's how I live my life is, you know, every, everything's going to work out in the end. And, um, and so, you know, why, why stress the small stuff in the sense, sure. but, um, yeah, it, I loved being in the city. I loved being anonymous. You know, I'm from a very small town and everybody knows your business and, oh, yeah. I, I know. you know, and, and, um, 
it was just nice just nobody knowing you and you could be as carefree and as um or as isolated or as anything that you wanted to be you could do it and it took a while but we um when i say we david and i and then another friend from laramie came out six months later um we met a group of people um who still to this day are some of my closest friends um and we just it, it just became my family here so um which was great which was great so i was 22 years old when i moved here and i'm 43 going on 44 very soon so it's been a long time <laughs> I was, we were exchanging uh, messages earlier when I first invited you to come and be on the podcast. And when you said, oh, I'm so much older, I'm like, that can't be accurate. That's not right. I mean, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm, if I'm being too forward. We can definitely edit this part out later. But <laughs> definitely, you don't look like you're in your 40s. Uh, uh, you're, you look like you're still in your uh, late 20s, possibly. Uh, I heart you. Thank Aww. you. Thank you. Uh, no, my body is definitely in its 40s. And um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a rough ride. Uh, but no, uh, it's, um, I love that. People tell me all the time, they're like, how long have you been with COE? I'm like, uh, almost 20. I've, I've hit my 20 year mark um, already. And they're like, no, no way. They're like, yeah, mind blown. And I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah. So we've been talking a little bit about COE. Can you tell us your work for the Council for Opportunity and Education, a.k.a. COE? Can you tell us a little bit about the organization and what is it that you exactly do for COE? Sure. So COE is a nonprofit organization. We're a membership organization. So institutions and agencies pay membership to us. We do two main things. We advocate for college access and success mainly for TRIO programs. So what a tri what TRIO programs is, is, you know, let's talk TRIO, right, um, is a federally funded program that takes students that are low income and first generation all the way from middle school uh, with their goal in mind is to get a college four-year degree, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so these are all over the United States and beyond, right, and all of our territories. And um, we we do two things. We advocate for their money. So we are very, that's, that's what the premise of COE is, is to make sure that their appropriation is strong and that these students are getting services so they can succeed in middle school and high school and in college and in even some cases in after college, um, that they receive this four-year degree and maybe even go beyond, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part of what we do is we, um, we train or we provide professional development to the people who work with the students. So COE rarely, very rarely um, works directly with students. Um, some of our, um, our beloved uh, programs are with students, but they're far and few between. We do a National Student Leadership Congress where we bring almost 200 students to Washington, D.C. every year to do a mock Congress and just see Washington, D.C., right? So mm. that's a week event that we have students here. We also do a number of different exchanges, uh, TRIO abroad. Um, we do it for students. We do it for staff. Um, but our main concern are the professionals 
professionals that comes in. Um, I'm the vice president for the professional development division, and we try to provide any type of service that would help college access and success uh, providers. We do anything from an onboarding training of being a college access and success professional mm -hmm. to renewing your grant. Oh, so, wow. and everything that's in between. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's, it's really, it's fabulous. And it's a, it's, um, it really hones into my skills about being a people person. My favorite thing is to be on the road and to be at conferences and to meet people and just to talk to people and hear, you know, how do they run their program and, you know, and how does this regulation fit into this? I mean, it sounds weird about regulations. People are always scared of them, but I love them. And I think it gives you a lot. What COE has done is put a lot of things into regulations so you don't have to rely on the Department of Ed yeah. because, the, the Department of Ed have tons of smart people working for them. Don't get me wrong. But almost none of them have actually worked with low-income first-generation students, right? And so this is why they give out grants. This is why they don't do it, right? Because they give it out to people who say that they know how to do this. Yeah. And so it's important that we that we help build the regulations, that we help interpret the regulations because we want to give as much flexibility and a much leeway to the programs to do what they are designed to do. Yeah. And sometimes when um, our people, because they work for institutions, right? Or they work for agencies and there's a lot of this red tape and they just want to be told what to do. They just want to be told that they can order pizza or they can buy t-shirts. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times things come down to their authority. And mm -hmm. so a lot of my trainings are about talking about authority and talking about being confident and talking to them about being an integral part of their university, whether they're working with community students, you know, that aren't at their university or working with their college students. They're still, they play a, a pivotal role. Yeah. in higher education with these students. Absolutely. So that's what I spent, you know, 99% of my day on. Wow. Which is fabulous. That's amazing. So is it fair to, to categorize or to discuss COE as a, as a lobbying program or not a lobbying program, but a lobby for education? No, so, and, and um, a lot of people think we are a lobbying firm, okay? And, and we're not. So it's a big distinction, too, in terms of your money and what you can pay for, too. So let's be clear that we are a nonprofit, and we do, we do just enough lobbying that adheres to the regulations, okay? You can only, for an agency for our size, you can only spend about 20% of your budget your operating budget on lobbying purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our stuff goes to advocating, right? Advocating for their uh, right on their campuses, not just with the federal government, but on campuses at their agencies with their supervisors. Um, so it's a lot to do with advocacy, which is, is that fine line between right. lobbying. Cause the lobbying you're asking for something you're asking for money you're asking for them to change a rule you're at you know which you can't do that on federal dimes you can't use federal money to lobby federal for federal funds it's just it's I like just that a, yeah it's a big no-no yeah. so um 
so we advocate so the term would be advocate we advocate for the success for of low-income first-generation students right on right on so then your advocacy for first-generation low-income students um does that advocacy come with a lot of direct contact with representatives and senators and to what extent is that relationship okay so you got um you got to remember too that and i'd say this in a lot of my presentations um Unless I'm calling Steny Hoyer or somebody from the Maryland, you know, uh, district or the Senate, no one wants to hear uh, from me about how somebody in West Virginia should vote or, you know, Colorado should vote. So it's it's this empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. So we do have a group of people at COE that, yes, they go to Congress and they talk to a bunch of people, a, a bunch of senators, a bunch of representatives talking about TRIO, talking about college access and success. But if the field isn't there with us, if you're not there with us, if people in Wyoming aren't there with us, then they won't listen to us. So it's really the power of the people, right? So we teach the people how to call, how to make an appointment, how to call and talk to people, how to thank them, how to invite them to Mm -hmm. – um opportunities to see your kids in action, right? Yeah. Whether it's a summer program or it's a McNair research um, symposium mm-hmm. or just coming to visit your college uh, campus and see yeah. your students in action there. Yeah. So um, that's what we do. And yes, we have um, Kimberly Jones, who's who's newly our executive vice president, but before that she was our vice president for um, government relations. Mm-hmm. So her and Jonathan Elkin, who's relatively new to COE, but he is the vice president for government relations. And then Stephanie Salvador is our director of congressional affairs. Yes, they're, they're um, Jonathan and Stephanie are on the hill quite a bit. Um, and they're also talking to the field quite a bit, right? They're also saying they're um, informing their, um, giving them talking points they're asking them to call they're setting up meetings they're saying hey we need a kid from south carolina you know to come testify and we go to the field so um so it's really powerful because it's really you guys it's really the trio community um that is is the lobbyists right Mm -hmm. it's just we're just helping them we also help them make make them feel comfortable in the offices Listen, most of those people on Capitol Hill are 25 years old or less, right? We've been around the moon a little bit longer than, than they have. And so we just we try to, to let them understand what they're really walking into and how much experience they have, right? Because it is a, a scary experience. Yeah. Now, I will say, I don't think I've been... My personally, I don't think I've been on Capitol Hill for the last 10 years. I so, um, earlier I would we, um, you know, on policy seminar or the National Student Leadership Congress because they meet with their congressional reps too when they're here. The kids do when they're here in the summer. Mm-hmm. You, we, we have a dedicated staff that would go with some just depending if they were on some more important, um, important meetings, sure. we would send people with them. But I haven't done that in a very, very long time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do have a question for you regarding 
kind of that. The well, not more of a question, but a, kind of a follow up. I think the uh-huh. things that you all do f- to empower others um, really speaks to the directors and to the students because I remember uh, your outreach. Uh, so this was many years ago when I was uh, first in the Enemio Program program, and you were training us on how to advocate for our programs. And one of the things that you suggested was call your senators. And my director at the time was uh, Roderick Chambers, who was the director for okay. right now. Uh-huh. And he said, you know what? We've never, we, we were sitting and looking at each other like, call Congress? We've never called Congress before. And why would they, wanted to, why would they ask us to do that? Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't take our call. Well, sure enough, uh, after your, your training, after we were done talking uh, in a webinar, Roderick's like, that's our assignment today. At today, at, after 5 o'clock, we're, we're leaving a message for Congress. I was like, okay. So we, we ended up calling Congress. We were there. We were holding each other accountable. We called Congress, and we left our message. So that was super empowering. You know, such a – it may seem small, right? Like this conversation about how to talk to your congressman or congresswoman. And it's so scary. It's yeah. so scary. Yeah. And it, it's such a it's we, we forget that they work for us, right? That we put them there. Well, we might not have literally put them there with our vote, right? But as a collective, we put them there. Right. And they they are there to do good for us. Absolutely. And um but it is it's you know, I still get a little uh nervous um when I when I have to do something because we, we do it too, right? You know, we find things that also impact our community, our state. And so, you know, you've got to practice what you preach. You can't just tell people and then not do it yourself. Right. Um, and, and still, every time I, my heart goes boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah. But I promise you, though, that they, that I mean, that's how they decide. And I've had it. Um, it was funny. One time. Again, this was a long time ago, but we were, I can't remember what the issue was, but um, we had called one of our, and I was on the phone. It was three of us on the phone, and we had called one of our champions at the time, and I can't remember where it was. Um, it could have been like Arkansas, for all I know, and the um, the legislative aide said, you know, we are behind you on this, but I want to tell you. We have not heard from one trio person on this issue. So we think it's important. We know that COE is pushing this nationally. And, you know, and, and we're big supporters of trio. But I just want to tell you, I haven't heard from one person. And that's, that's where, we were, where we knew that we had, um, had not gotten the job done. So, because sometimes people think your your champions or the people that are always behind you, ah, oh, they don't want to hear from us already. They're already behind you, but they have every day are people calling them to push some agenda, and at some point they're going to be like, well, I don't even think my trio people care about this because I'm not hearing about it. So let me do it to career tech, right? Maybe they're okay that I'm going to put a billion dollars in career take it career tech and take you know a half a million from them to do that yeah you got to think about things like that and people don't we you know we're busy we're parents we um um have dogs we have a life we you know we we, our struggles are real and so we just don't on a day-to-day think about these things so coe is always there to remind you that you have to think about these things. Absolutely. Otherwise, nobody else is. Because if you're not going to do it and you can't get your students to do it, 
then TRIO will just go away. Uh, yeah, that's true. And I think that's why that support for COE and uh, what you all do is, is super important. Speaking of the work that you do for COE, it sounds like you are very busy providing a lot of training to TRIO programs. Is the training mostly done online or do you travel a lot? I heard you say you travel quite, that that's part of your favorite part of your job. But can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you do your trainings? How, how does that come yeah. to fruition? Well, it's it's changed a lot since the pandemic, um, <laughs> but because I will say we we did um, so you know let's be real I have to make um, my my division also has benchmarks on on um, money right mm -hmm. uh, coming into the institution and am I paying for my people I mean we still we're a nonprofit but you you know we're not poor you can't be poor and um, so. Before March, I would say most we did probably one to two webinars a month, maybe, maybe on oh, on average. Yeah. And um, most of our stuff was uh, face to face. So our, our responsibility was to do uh, we would do two two legislation and regulations a year face to face. Do we had a we have a P four which is a training grant from the Department of Ed which mm -hmm. for financial aid financial literacy and admissions we have that grant so we do four of those a year and we do an onboarding which is the hybrid of online and in in person mm -hmm. um, and then we do proposal writing workshops oh, yeah. so depending on what year we're in so like this year coming up is the talent search and EOC competition mm -hmm. so. Um, so I would I would um, travel with our legislation and regulations, our proposal writing workshops, and then what we do is as a as a organization, every month we get together and we look at all the state and regional association meetings mm -hmm. and the national meetings too, like um, the national EOC, the national veterans upper bound, all those kind of meetings, and it's in a big grid and we go through who should go. Mm -hmm. and it's it's very sometimes it's just because you want to go you've never been you know when Alaska comes around everybody wants to go right but there's other times there's there's um, congressional it, it, is there something hot going on there um, if there is then you know definitely it's one of our GR team members mm -hmm. if it's something that we're really trying to work with alumni um, we uh, send our alumni uh, director you know um, if it's something about um, membership services uh, L, L has a connection with somebody and needs they need to bring up their membership we'll send our membership service team so we sit there and we decide who's gonna go to what now we try to go to probably 80% of the state and regional association meetings one person um, regionals we send two to three depending marine our um, our president always goes to the regions unless unless for some reason she can't make it for the most part she does all 10 of them mm -hmm. and takes one or two of us along with them with her so um i do i do a lot of i, I don't travel as much on the state and regions when i was younger i probably went to 10 region or 10 regional or states a year and then, but now since I do legs regs, I also, we also have a thing called technical assistance where we will go to people's campuses and mm -hmm. put on trainings of 
of whatever they want. And so they, um, it could be a legislation and regulations, it can be a new directors, it can be a compliance assessment. I travel a lot with those. Um, but also I have two little ones, so I, which I have one right here. Okay, baby, you got it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Okay. Um, that was awesome. Sorry. I, I get, I get that too. So no, you're, you're good. Uh, yes. I can see your eyes. Like, yeah, I know that look. Let me tell you. Um, but um, so I used to travel a lot more for those kind of things. Now I travel more with my trainings, more on technical assistance. Um, it's very interesting. Um, I, I become a salesperson, right? So I'm like, well, I think you need to do this, and we need to come down, and we need to show your grants people how to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, but also at the same time, people are always like, well, we need COE because I have faculty, right, that will go yeah. and do this. I'm not an expert. I mean, I never ran a trio program either. So I know the rules and I, but I don't, um, there's a lot of things that I don't know and you don't want me doing. Cause in theory, it sounds great to me. It might never work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it's, it's interesting for people to say, well, I really want somebody from COE and to be quite honest at this point in COE, mm -hmm. Marine and I are the only two people that could, travel knowing the regulations wise okay. Kim is yeah. our um, she does she does our trainings for our law she's a lawyer by trade um, and she's very very good at it but she doesn't she doesn't know anything underneath the law and, and so she doesn't typically um, travel with us so it would be her and I so for the last couple of years it's been me and um, but as I was saying, with two kids, um, it's gotten a lot harder. Oh, absolutely. So um, I've been trying to stay at home more. And um, we have uh, Nicole Norfless is our director of our um, – oh, I just said her title a little bit ago. I can't think of her title. But she does our STEM initiatives. Mm -hmm. She does our onboarding. So she, she travels with that. And um, – and she does our P4, so, or, so she does. She travels all with that. Um, plus, she's on a couple of NSF grants, and she travels for that as well. Mm -hmm. And then Vanessa Ramirez, who just uh, came on board, um, maybe, I bet she's getting to her year anniversary. Um, she is, she's fabulous. She worked in a talent search program. That's what we need, right? More people working in their program. So Absolutely. she helps me a lot on um, service oriented things um, that we can do for the community. We just hired Jen Rudolph, um, who was a director of upper bound at Cornell. She's coming to my division. Um, she'll be a director of pre-college services. Um, so we have people there that have actually worked in TRIO um, because the one thing that I can do all day long is provide compliance content, you know, and I used to joke around like, it, it, I kid you not. So at our annual conference or at a webinar, I'm like, I can put the, the most boring description, but I say review O and B and I'll get a hundred people. I'm like, I don't, my titles don't have to be sexy. I don't have to wave <laughs> things around saying, you know, people will come, right? Mm -hmm. um, but we need more service-oriented things. And so we're bringing some TRIO people to COE 
so they can get that content, that service content from people who have lived it, been in it. So we're really, really excited about that. And, um, and I can focus on my job of, of the compliance and the regulations and, and, and it works out really well. Awesome. Awesome. I think with, uh, with that, question that, that fed off of the traveling were there any particular locations that you really liked to visit or even uh, going to um, so I love to travel but listen I've been to Butte Montana I've been to Pocatello Idaho um, I've been all over California I've been to Maine um, I've been to Alaska um, I've been to Guam I mean who who That's loves amazing. my life more than me? It's, um, I mean, I've, I've had so many wonderful trips. I've been to almost all 50, <laughs> almost all 50 states. Um, I'm only missing two. Mm -hmm. So, um, which um, I'm, I'm going to get to because there's just random two states. And um, it's been wonderful because the people have been, I mean, I just, uh, last not uh, in February 2019, I got to go to um, oh, Cor not Corpus Christi. We went to the beach there, and we did a we did a training for uh, the University of Texas Rio Grande uh, Rio Grande Valley mm -hmm. uh, on the beach. I mean, come on, how how lovely is my life? So it. I've just been to a lot of places. I've met a lot of wonderful, wonderful people. I've been to Puerto Rico. That's, a, that's amazing. Probably, yeah. I, I mean, at least 10 times now in my lifetime. Um, and it just gets better every time. Yeah. So. That's awesome. And I get to take my, my kids now. So yeah, they get to cool. travel along with me. Yeah. I mean, daughter, uh, she signed up for a, we, a, a couple of years ago, we were doing SSS training, and we w went to Polson, Montana, and then we jumped a plane to Atlanta, Georgia. And mm. my, she was like, I want your life. I'm like, you're going to have my life. <laughs> and, and, and tenfold, awesome. you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> That's amazing. That is awesome. Um, so with regards to TRIO programs, you must get a lot of feedback. Do you think that each program, you alluded to earlier, you said each program does run differently. What are some what are, the, what are some of those differences and some similarities that the trio program share? I think um, they're all they're all unique in the senses that they're all working. You know, they all we're all humans, so their their supervisors are all different. How they run their campuses or their agencies are all different in that sense. Um, but they're all you know they all want to do good. They they want to help students, at least the people in the trio programs. Okay, mm -hmm. I can't say that for all the supervisors, and I can't say that for all the business people. But they but they also have their own. They have their own um, what they have to accomplish too, yeah. right? So, yeah, and I, I'm not taking that away from them because it's right. an important important thing that they do as well. But I think. Um, I, what I've learned is they every single trio person loves their students. They love their kids and they want only the best for their students. And I commend them for that. And they will do anything amazing. for their students. Yeah. And that's amazing because you guys work a million hours and you don't get paid very much. 
and you work in summers and you go on trips and you work nights and you know you do booths and you guys it's just it always remind me about just talk about a work ethic and for uh, some, for yeah. you know somebody other than you shout out to all the trio professionals uh you all are Ooh. killing it out there they are and yeah. um and i know you're not now but you were and yeah, you, you know mm-hmm. you know i know and um but also, so I think, so there's a lot of, so there's a lot of camaraderie in that. But sometimes if you don't know that you think it, you might just be working in a program that you have no idea is a part of a federally funded program and you can yeah. feel so alone mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're like, we're doing this work and we're the only ones doing it. And then listen, you come to your first regional meeting or you come to your first uh, national meeting and you oh, see it and you it's just amazing right yes, it's just absolutely like oh my god I'm not alone look at all these other programs doing kind of what I'm doing too yeah it's, and you're like oh it's yeah. it's just wild and even state meetings I mean I, I think are very <laughs> are just really cool to get together and just talk about you know what's going on at your institution what's going on at your agency so um, but I think what is different and, and sometimes hard is that a lot of trio, and I'm just going to talk about trio directors now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just depends on how they're placed at their institution or how much the institution cares about you mm-hmm. or um, values you. Okay. And sometimes directors come in with, they are counselors at heart. They, they're, they're just working for the students, but they're not savvy enough to to talk with their supervisors about, Hey, I'm a valuable resource to this institution. Mm-hmm. And look at, look at my retention rate of my students and what that's doing and the money that we're bringing in to mm-hmm. the institution for this, you yeah. know, or for veterans or for returning adults for this, for the um, city or the County. People are scared to talk about things like that, right? They're like, oh, nope, I'm just going to run my little program here, and I'm going to be happy, and I'm, I'm going to just do the best I work for my 160. Mm-hmm. When you think about the, if their mind frame was just tilted just a little bit mm-hmm. about, you know, just even letting the institution, the community know what you're doing, how you're idea. doing it. There's how a, you are a part of the retention um, statistics here absolutely. at Colorado State University. It, it, it's powerful, but if you don't know that, if you go in, I mean, all the time I have people come in and they're just like, they want me to do this, but I, you know, I'm with SSS and I just need to do this. And, you know, and I just start asking questions. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you want to do this? Well, yeah. I don't think I can. I mean, I, I need to do only SSS. And I'm like, that's not entirely true. Yeah. And so let's have a conversation. So, so they're a lot more alike than you would think. Um, but there are some really, really innovative people out there that are just doing some amazing work with their students. And there's also these really amazing directors out there that are like, hey, I'm, I'm taking my program 2.0, you know, mm-hmm. or I, my dynasty here of Trio, right, is 
and and beyond. Yeah. I mean, you have you have institutions that have 13 programs that are combined with federal and state um, that are just doing, they're like, they're doing just on such a, another scale of working for low income for generation students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, with that question, I uh, want to kind of go over to the next one that says uh, these communities that really value their programs when any conversation comes up about either taking a little bit of funding away from TRIO or uh, redirecting funds, it seems like the community is re really ready to rally around TRIO, especially, especially when it comes to funding. In your opinion, what makes TRIO a lasting force within marginalized communities? Well, I think um, you always have to have you always have to be organized and you always have to have the power of the people. The people have to be educated and they have to be willing to fight for it. And the problem with other programs um, is they always, that if you don't have the advocacy behind it, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have programs and similar and they're like, um, they don't have a advocacy group or anybody telling them. And so if they get, they're like, Oh, we got level funded. That's great. And, um, my, my boss is the president emeritus and the president now. I mean, they would say, no, we're asking for 200 million. And people would be like, are you crazy? And they're like, they're like, that is a drop in the bucket, you know? Mm -hmm. And we would be, we would be scolded about talking about how much money goes into this and how much, and this is higher education people. And this is, you know, in the scheme of things, this is a, a rounding error. You have to shoot high. Mm -hmm. You have, if you, if we are going to break, we're at 7%, right? Of the, we only serve 7% of the eligible population. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to dream big Absolutely. and you can't stand for status quo. Absolutely. You can't just say thank you, thank you for nothing. You you got to keep fighting. And that's why you need to have your regions and that's why you need to have your national associations to do to help you fight while you're working with your students. They're the ones doing the research for you. Those are the ones that are helping you and telling you, "Well, we have to get to this member and to this member." You don't have time to do that. You don't have time to, you know, and do your job and be a parent. That's why you have these organizations there to fight for you and help you understand um, what you have to do to get it done. Absolutely. Um, so my next part of the question, uh, it relates to um, the various support that COE receives, because as you alluded to earlier, you said that COE receives support from institutional um, support. Uh, but what can normal people like that are not institutions that are not a university entity, how can they support COE? Sure. Well, there's a lot of different ways. Gotcha. So there's a, there's a number of different ways. Um, you know, we have a personal donation campaign so people can give personal donations to COE. Our biggest funding source is our membership. So institutions and agencies pay to be a membership of COE. And they get discounts on our trainings, our webinars, et cetera. Um, they, that's our biggest source. We also have a lot of different partnerships with um, other nonprofits or other um, corporations or foundations that are doing similar work. We uh, partner with uh, Comcast quite oh, wow. a bit. Um, and I don't know, do you know Fernando Cardenas? Uh, I've heard of the name. So he – 
he used to work at our um, office and he's now works at Comcast. Uh, and so um, we have a, a very, we have an alum that works there. She's from Wyoming too. So oh, wow. <laughs> um, that uh, uh, we work really close with. Um, we, you know, we've had grants from the Lumina Foundation. We're in the works for getting one from Strata, which they're very interested in the workforce development um, for our students. So, we have that kind of partnership and money coming in as well. Um, but, uh, you know, we don't, we, we, we do a lot of grants, of course, right? And we do ask people um, to make a contribution if they can. But those, those are really our, our revenue sources. Uh, we also, you know, um, we have a partnership with the, the um, European Assets Net Access Network, which is similar to what we try to do here in the States with low-income first generation. They, they, um, they do it with low-income and minority students mm -hmm. and um so we go to their conference every year they come to our conference every year um we also have a partnership with uh our study abroad programs with them so um i think that's a very important partnership to us so it's um money is great obviously we we love money right everybody loves money but also the resources and the connections and and giving our students opportunities um where new opportunities where maybe we hadn't thought about before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the reason for that question was I'm seeing more and more people start to take agency with money and they're saying, you know what I want to put, if there is an organization that is advocating for a program that I love and that it's, it's for it and it's, it's 100% chips in, then I want to be able to support that or I want to show my support. And I think you all are a fantastic organization that continues to advocate for trio programs. So I think our audience, for those who are maybe not fully aware of how to um, be involved, there are, it sounds like there's multiple ways to get involved to support COE. Absolutely. And you can, you can just give us cash. We would love you for that too. Um, so you can always go to our website and donate money as well. Um, COE is a big proponent of um, donations as well. Um, when uh, the our good people in Puerto Rico with their hurricanes and then now the earthquakes. Uh, so we've been doing donations for them. We give 100% of their money uh, – 100% of the money that comes in for that particular relief, we send straight to them so they can buy things for their students. That's awesome. We let the, we let the Caribbean Association um, say who needs the money the most. Um, we just kind of give them a check of what we received. Um, so we, we, we try, COE as an organization tries to help out as much as we can as well. And we, um, at our annual conference, we, uh, depending on what city we're in, we always do a public service event for um, typically middle school, high schoolers, homeless students, students that may, it started off as, as backpacks, but we've gone now to organizations of what they, they may need. So a lot of, sometimes a lot of toiletries, a lot of uh, cosmetic kind of things um, for their students. So, um, you know, people have real needs out there Absolutely. and, so whatever COE can do to give back to, um, we try to help out as well. That's awesome. 
Um, what have been some challenging aspects of providing training to TRIO programs? Have there been any sort of challenges that you've run into? For writing for TRIO grants? <sighs> it's, I mean, one, I don't, I write TRIO training grants, okay? So I don't write, a, uh, I have, I've never written a, a TRIO grant before. Um, but um, some of the common mistakes if you're asking my opinion, I, I read lots of defund, defunded uh, proposals, mm -hmm. and I try to find reason to fund to make a case to um, to apply for an appeal. But I think a lot of times uh, people don't read, people don't invest in COE, so they don't come to our webinars or come to our proposal writing workshops, um, and they they the a lot of times their institutions have been funded for years and years and years, but their directors change, right? Mm -hmm. Or yeah. um, you have a director who is a wonderful but thinks they know everything, and there could be a new section in, in, the, um, in the grant that they missed. I mean, I've read it where people are using objectives that weren't, you know, that were gone in the 80s, and they're still in their proposals. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, so... What's challenging to me is for on our perspective is that people just don't read and understand. Mm -hmm. It's actually trio is you answer questions. You have a you have about fifty questions you have to answer in sixty five pages, and people like to talk about all this different stuff that will not get you um, get you a point, and it, it might not be relevant. And, and so that's what we try to teach them. Um, but in terms of challenges, it's just that, you know, for a tribal college, everybody's poor and everybody's first gen. And yeah. oh. you're trying to parse out a section of the of who are the most needy. I mean, mm -hmm. that is so incredibly sad right yeah. that you can't you can't write for a whole tribal college you have to pick out why will you help only this 200 people mm -hmm. um that's just a society challenge um yeah. so yeah. but uh i think um in everyday life i think people give too much authority to the department of ed and I think it goes to their head a lot. They they like to say that they have authority over things that they really don't. Mm -hmm. The regulations say very different. So mm -hmm. I think that's a challenge just in everyday life. Sure. But in terms sure. of, of writing a grant, it's just reading, just to make sure that they they know the questions that are being asked. And an institution too, okay? An institution does not want to look bad. Nobody ever wants to look bad. But your yeah. whole first section is why you need this grant because your institution sucks at working with low income first generation students. And you have to make that case that you're doing a terrible job and you need intervention. Yeah. I think it's hard for institutions to admit that they might be doing a terrible job. Right. And yeah. and it's hard to accept that and say, you know what, in order for us to get the funding for an upward bound program or for a trio program in general, we need to say, you know what, we've not done the outreach to that particular population and we want to have a trio program so we can do a much better job. It's that yeah. acceptance of that, right? And it's it's so funny because 
uh, you could read like you could read the first three pages of a grant and you're like, mm -mm. you know, we're going to start over here because they're, they're all like saying how wonderful they are about helping people who don't need help anyway. You know what I mean? Or, or talking about other people. You're like, yeah, but you're talking about affluent students who came in with a 4.0. I mean, right. Yes. They had a lot of things going for them already coming into the Absolutely. institution. So it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Absolutely. And, and trying to get them to understand that is, is a, is a fun challenge yeah. to be honest. So. And you're, you all are doing a, a magnificent job at that uh, of helping the programs understand or even institutions understand how they're doing their outreach and how they can connect better connect with their students to make sure that, that there's that transitioning happening, right? That they're, they're going to a post-secondary education. Yeah. And a lot of times people are like, well, you know, it's, it, it's funny having these conversations. Um, you know, like, but we have this student and he's going to the military or we have this student, but he's going to go on his mission. And, you know, you've got to look at them in the eye and be like, that's why you didn't write for a hundred percent objective of, because you knew students were going to go on equally successful paths. Yeah. But, you know, but not post-secondary. So, you know, you have that or, you know, you have Congress sometimes like, well, my daddy didn't go to college and I didn't go to college. So, and we're like, that is awesome. Totally cool. We're not saying that a hundred percent of America has to go, Yeah. but we're saying that we are giving the most vulnerable people a chance to succeed. And in our mind, a chance to succeed in America is with a post-secondary degree, you know? Absolutely. So, but we are not telling you that a hundred that career tech is not important to, yeah. or, you know, people who come from very wealthy entrepreneurial places. That's not, it's, that's understandable. You right. have your ways too, you know, it's, that's cool. So they hit the jackpot, right? They've done, they've yeah. done this thing. But it's, it's about we're advocating for students that are trying to connect and trying to make that step into what success means for them. And, and like you said, we're not trying to tell them uh, in, in a program objective is, yes, we're trying to get you to post-secondary education. But if you find a path that's a little bit more outlined for you and that, that you feel comfortable with, that, the, that those true programs have this moral obligation to help the student transition to that. Exactly. And, you know, in every trio uh, program. I've never seen one director upset about a student unless it's something that, you know, the kid is just being dumb, you know, they're just being dumb, yeah. um, which we have lots of those. I mean, it's life kind of thing, but um, you know, they're proud of their students and they're taking them far away, you know, farther than they could ever imagine. So, Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what trio people do is that they just make, they help students grow. Absolutely. They help students grow. And, um, it, you know, so be it if they're going to make that, hit that post-secondary outcome. Some people take a long time. Some they people, do. they, they do. don't need to, they, they go and get a, um, a, a trade, a certificate or something that it's going to, it's going to be very successful for them. And that's okay. Absolutely. That's okay too. Absolutely. So. Well, Angelica, we're almost done with the questions. I do <laughs> want to say this has been a wonderful and informative podcast. Uh, but just to kind of wind down, um, everybody has been learning. I've seen on Facebook how to make bread, 
how to do all of these things. People are like going like they've displayed a lot of skills that like, oh my gosh, you could do that at home. What are some things that you've been working on or that you've picked up uh, either that you've, that you've either been interested in or that you're not picking up as, as a hobby? Well, I have been jumping on a trampoline more in my life. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, and it just, you know, it's like a cartwheel. Have you, have you tried to do a cartwheel in the uh, last 20 years? I have not, no. Okay. No. Well, so I was fabulous at cartwheels, right? I mean, yeah. I could do a cartwheel. I tried to do a cartwheel the other day, and it, I, I failed miserably. And it, it, I was like, but I, mentally, I know how to do a cartwheel. I can do a cartwheel. Uh, just so I've been taking a lot of um, – I, what I like to do is um, I used to run. Um, mm. I haven't ran since I've had my second kid, which so it's been a long time. But um, so I, walk, I, I like long walks, and I like to um, just put a podcast on. Oh, that's awesome. And, and just walk. It's one of my favorite things to do. My kids like to scooter, so um, oh, I can't do it quite as well. I mean, I walk, but I, I have to actually pay attention to them. Yeah. Um, so we do that a lot. Um, now, in the pandemic, we don't um, – <laughs> the only thing we uh, – the only thing that they let – okay, okay, babe. You got to go. I'm almost done. And then we uh, – yeah, go ahead. That was my um, son earlier. He came in. I don't know. If I saw you. <laughs> I was like, maybe, and he's like, I'm just, I just want to get a snack. I'm like, go. Yeah. Go. Yeah. That's <laughs> She's like, I just want dessert. <laughs> but listen, okay. Their father yeah. is right out there. I, you know, doing nothing. I'm, well, I shouldn't say that, but I'm in his office. So I know he's not doing work or anything. So, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so we've been doing th that. Um, other than that, I, I'm terrible. I don't have very many hobbies. I work a lot. Um, my sister-in-laws are the, my people that keep my kids, like, entertained. Um, but so for me, just it's nice to get outside and just to be alone in my thoughts and listening to things that I want to listen to. And um, I, I'm outside with my kids a lot more. So. Yeah. My daughter's nine, though, or going to be nine yeah. in a couple of weeks. And so I let, oh, you know. Happy, she, happy early birthday to her. Yeah, I will tell her that. Um, but she can be outside by herself. And so she does just cartwheels all day long. I mean, literally, she'll just sit there and do cartwheels um, awesome. or jump on the trampoline. Or we have, we have a, yeah. a treehouse, too. So, but when my five-year-old's outside, I, I, I feel more compelled to keep an eye on her right so. got to monitor the five-year-old because uh yeah that's well i feel like it's the it's the youngest oh, it's always the youngest one you got to keep an eye out for the youngest one yeah always yeah. oh, um just a quick story i was up oh, yeah. we, th this was um she's probably three she was little but and she's not little she's built like me like a brick um and oh. we were yeah we were upstairs and or we were up at the in the treehouse and I was cleaning it. Baby. Okay. Now we're acknowledging your children just coming in. It's, it's, yeah. it's totally, totally yeah. cool. Come here. Say hi real quick and then you got to go. Hi. <laughs> okay. So um, up in the treehouse and Vivian, she got this treehouse at four years old, I think. Her uncle oh. and her uncle built it. Uh, it was built already, but he uh, made it stable. Yeah. And so, so Elise was three, I think. And um, 
we're up there. She's with me. She's with mm-hmm. me, and I'm brooming uh, out the uh, thing. And I turn around for one second, and she's fallen out. I literally oh she's fallen out oh. the treehouse. And I was like, Alicia, I mean, I mean, it was a scary, scary experience. And yeah. she was okay. She was fine. I almost caught her. Yes, Vivian almost caught her. Okay, no, 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 no. Sit down. Okay. So, um, but it was on the this, podcast if she wants to. Yeah, don't tell her that. Um, the it was the scariest experience. But all of a sudden, she, I mean, she was there, and then she wasn't there. And so I was like, Lisa, you cannot go to the treehouse until you are four years old or something like that. And so everything for her, because she is a klutz. I mean, she's a lot like me, so she's a klutz. And so um, everything we put age on for her. Her. her okay. You need to <laughs> we we put um, Angelica's children just coming in and out of the podcast. It's hilarious. It's funny. Sorry, Angelica. <laughs> okay. Well, we're we're close to the. Okay, baby. No more. Um. So anyway, yes. So um, she's my girl. That I just have. To, she. Uh, we take her out scootering, and about every eighth time, she falls and hurts herself. You know. And so she's yeah. she's my little clumsy girl. So. Aww. Well, you know, me having three kids, they all have their characteristics. The oldest I bet. One. At this point, I can just, like, dude, just text me when you're about to go do things. <laughs> it, like, just tell me. Uh, oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, and tell me again, um, how big is your house? Oh, oh, we're, we live in an apartment right now. So okay, you're living in an apartment. Very, you're living close. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's tight quarters, and at this point, we're – not tired of each other, but we like the space. And but definitely my oldest, he's feeling it. He's like, I wanna be out a lot. Yeah. Oh, I I bet. I bet. I I bet. Yeah. So but um I and I, I feel like I'm getting mad or yelling at them every, you know, other minute, but um, you know, then something like that, uh, you know, Sabrina Brina um, from Oklahoma, Sabrina Ford, you know, and then something like that happens. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm like, you know, so like last night, my mom or my kids were driving me nuts and I was like, but I have them. So yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to shut up tonight, you know? Yeah. So. You gotta be thankful for the little things. So our hearts uh, go out to Sabrina and her family and we're uh, that way she knows that we're thinking about her and thinking about her during this uh, difficult time. So, and Angelica, I just want to say it was an honor having you on the podcast. Oh, Thank you so much for being kind of on a short. I, I put you, I asked you last week, and then we just kind of, kind of put it in the back burner. I was like, oh, shoot, I got to develop questions. And then I sent you the questions last night, which I felt so guilty of. Oh, like, you were fine. <laughs> I got it this morning. I was like, oh, they're fine. They're good. I mean, so if I don't know the answers to these, I, you know, I'm in trouble. So. No, you you did a great <laughs> podcast. I appreciate you being on the podcast, and hopefully we can have you again in the future, and maybe with somebody else if you want to. That would be really cool. Okay, that sounds great. I'd love to come back. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Angelica, and <laughs> hopefully uh, we get to talk to you again soon. And please let COE know that we're here, and we'd love to have them on the podcast too. I, I will absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Absolutely, thank you. Bye, Angelica. Bye. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? 
you or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk Trio. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public. What a fantastic interview with Angelica Villalpando from the Council for Opportunity in Education. So thank you, Angelica, for sitting down with us at the Let's Talk Trio podcast. We really enjoyed having Angelica on the program. It was really nice uh, being able to connect with her and talk about the various policies and uh, the various uh, topics that fall under TRIO and how COE is able to help and assist. They develop these programs and workshops to uh, really give TRIO programs an edge, when it, not only when it comes to grant writing, but to the policies and the, the small little tidbits that every TRIO program has to worry about, about funding and then uh, program objectives and um, various other topics. I'd like to say a quick thank you to Student Access, our sponsor for today's podcast. A thank you to the podcast team, sound engineer and in-house musician, John Russell. Producer and marketing manager, Amelia Castañeda. Executive producer and host, Juan Rivas. Honorary members of Let's Talk Trio include Tony Ho, Roderick Chambers, and Scott Kendall. Remember, fans, you can always donate to Let's Talk Trio via Patreon. Help us keep this podcast going. We thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.